to be back here today, honored to preach God's word in this house this morning. I, I don't feel like I, I have to do this, friends. I really do feel like I get to be a part of the best church in the world right here at Walk Church. And it is such a privilege. My wife Nina and I are bragging on this church all the time. And when we talk about the church, we're talking about people. And so again, if this is your first time here, we wanna invite you to be a part of this family. The church isn't like family, this church is family and we're growing as a family together on mission. And today I'm excited to jump into the word of God as we, as we really kick off a brand new series here at Walk Church that we've titled Nehemiah. It's really based off of the book name Nehemiah and how everything counts. When it comes to God, everything counts. Details count, people count, his word counts, his worship counts, and everything counts in this story. And we're gonna be walking through this book of Nehemiah over the next several weeks. And I'm excited just to really just dig our heels into it, kind of sink our church teeth into this book and, and allow us to see Jesus more clearly through it and from it. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I wanna invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah and this time, it's on the left side of your Bibles. It's in the OT, which stands for Old Testament. Your Bible might have some cobwebs over there. Go ahead and dust them off. And let's learn from the God of both sides of the book, right? The God of the left and the right side of the book. When you get to Nehemiah chapter one, say, I'm there. All right, Japper's there. George is there. We, all right, we, we, got, we, got, we got some, we got, a sprinkling of people that are there. If you're there by way of screen, say, I'm there. All right, praise God. Everybody should be there. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Heavenly Father, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. I wanna just talk about these three verses for a moment here today. And then I want us to go kinda, of, you ever seen a movie where it takes you to the prequel? Like, it shows you some of what's happening, then it just kind of fades into the past and it helps you go on a journey on how you even got to Nehemiah. It's important that I, f I really feel it's important that we do that because, you know, this book, this Bible, is actually made up of 66 different books written over a span of 1,500 years, authored by over 40 different authors. This book is a supernatural book, it's really a collection. This book is a library. 66 different books, all inspired and breathed out by God for our good, our teaching, our reproof. And we're holding up Nehemiah and saying, God, what do you wanna to speak to us through this book? And what I've found as a studier of God's word is that it's important when reading this book that you have the right, here's the C word, the right context. Come on, everybody say context. That when it comes to studying God's word, context is key. Context is what did God say on the left side and what did God say on the right side so I can know the right context. Let me give you this. A poor way to read the Bible is to just say, here, 
and you just pick a verse. A poor way is to be a cherry picker of the scriptures. Let me give you some, some big seminary terms, okay? There's two different ways, methods on reading the scriptures. One way is called eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you open up the Bible, you isolate a verse, take it out of its context, and then utilize it to fit a narrative. Eisegesis would be a faulty and wrong way to read the Bible. It's using scripture the way the devil uses scripture. He takes verses and then twists them and tweaks them and says, did God really say this or that? that that's a demonic way. That's a way that's dangerous. Kind of a, a lousy biblical joke would be to say, in one part of the Bible, it says that Judas hanged himself. In another part of the Bible, Jesus says, now you go do likewise. If you take those two verses out of context, you can tell any story you want in a faulty way. But we're not interested in that at Walk Church, amen? We believe a better way is what's called exegesis, which is to exposit and exegete a passage of scripture. In order to do that, you have to put the scripture in its rightful context and to say, okay, what was God saying? Who was God saying it to? Why was God saying it? What was the date and time it was written? Who was the author of who's writing it and why was it written? How do we apply something that was written thousands of years ago to us today? And finally, where is Jesus in all of it? I think that's the right way to read the scripture. We believe out of all 66 books in the Bible, there's a thread, almost like a needle threading through all the books, pointing to one main character, amen? Do you know his name? It's not you. I gotta blow that up, let me put a needle in that. The Bible, is not primarily about you, which will set you free. So you don't have to find yourself in every story. Find God in every story. Find Jesus in every story. Find the gospel in every story, and then you can apply it to you. And then you'll see God as big and magnificent and glorious, and you'll wanna know him more. That's what I want us to do with the book of Nehemiah. And so in order for us to do that, here's what I wanna do. I wanna take you on a historical timeline a journey, a, a Discovery Channel documentary of the historical narrative that, that gets us to Nehemiah chapter one, which we just heard. If you just read what verses one through three and you're like, that really didn't hit me. Good, doesn't make sense. But let me go ahead and try to do my best to, to cover centuries of time in about eight minutes, all right? Here's what I need, I need commitment. Will you lock in? Will you lean in? Will you give me some undivided attention? And let's go ahead and get better here today. So let me go ahead and put a, a timeline up here on the screen. And here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to take you through this timeline bullet point by bullet point. Before we venture into this first one, let me give you just some context for the timeline. In the beginning, there was God. And God existed three in one. Before anything happened, God, period. God was there, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, God the Holy Spirit. They were all three in triune community and unity, and then God as a charge group, God in community, got a God idea, and they said, let's create. Friend, I would say everybody in this room is creative. You know why? Because you're all created in the image of God. You're all created in the likeness of God, so you got some creativity in your heart because God's a creator. God starts to create the heavens. God starts to create the earth. God creates the trees, God creates the fish, God creates the animals, God creates the human, the man, 
God creates the woman, Adam, and Eve. God brings them together in the garden. God creates this beautiful thing called marriage. He officiates the first ever marriage in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. These two individuals get married. They walk with God in the cool of the day. And then there's an enemy who creeps into the picture, literally. He's disguised as a serpent. He begins to deceive Adam and Eve, the creatures of God, with deception by twisting the word of God. Here's what he says. Well, did God really say? I mean, did he really say if you eat that you'll die? I mean, you're not really gonna die. And he, they start to listen to this voice rather than listen to God. And so they began to eat from the tree that God said did not eat from. They, God said you could have thousands of other trees, all the fruit you'll ever need. But they said they wanna listen to the enemy which gave birth to sin and then thousands upon thousands of years later, we're still trying to recover from the garden. If you say when you get to heaven, you wanna have a conversation with Adam, me too. I'm invited, right? Like, come on, bro. But yet again, we sin every day too. He's like, I know you, man, you ain't no better than me, right? And sin was birthed into the world and God spoke these promises in Genesis chapter three. He gave a word to the man, he gave a word to the woman, he gave a word to the serpent. He said, you're gonna have to work hard. You're gonna be sweating. He said to the woman, childbearing is gonna be hard. It's gonna be painful. He said to the serpent, one day my son's gonna crush your head, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and, and he spoke these promises and then he removed man from his presence because man was now sinful and couldn't be in the presence of God. And it was only gonna take a miracle, a Messiah to come reconcile. That happens later, but we're not there yet. So let me go ahead and hurry up. Man is now on their own looking for wisdom and direction and God was still available but man turned to man to try to get that and so what happens is you see the first ever murder Cain and Abel get into a fight about offerings and then you see death and blood is crying out from the dirt and you see the earth begin to be populated and now it's sinners being multiplied and every thought was wicked Genesis 5 says as we fast forward I want us to end up in a book called first Samuel where you see wars and all types of struggle and God through it all saying, I'm still here. Don't look left, don't look right, don't put your hope in man, put your hope in me. God says, let me be your king. Let me rule you, let me guide you, let me guard you, I made you, I love you, I'm for you. But in this first bullet point in 1 Samuel 8, the people of Israel get tired of God as king. Can I just say, don't ever get tired of Jesus being the king of your life. Don't ever get weary with Jesus being the director of your life. When you start to allow other people and voices be king of your life, you're off. You're headed in a bad direction. This is where the people were. So they, they set up a meeting. They said, we wanna, we wanna schedule a meeting with the priest in the land. His name was Samuel. They said, hey Sam, you know there's a whole bunch of other nations. They got kings. They got big bad dudes that carry swords on their hip. How come we can't be like one of them? And Samuel said, because we got God. He opened the Red Sea. He brings people out of the grave. He can do anything. He fed us in the, that's why God's saying, remember my, my works. And they go, I know we got God, but we want, a, we want an earthly king. And Samuel's like, please, that's a bad idea. You don't need any other king. And they say, well, we don't care. We want an earthly king. Go tell God. So Samuel has a prayer meeting with God. And he says, God, in the temple, the people want an earthly king. They don't, they don't want only you. 
And God says, that's a bad idea because one day those same people are gonna pray to me about the kings that they wanted. And so God says, tell them, don't do that. Samuel says, y'all don't want a king. They say, no, 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 give us a king. So God says, I'm gonna give you what you want. Be careful what you pray for. God might just give it to you. Ask God, is what I'm praying for your heart? God says, okay, let's get the biggest, baddest, toughest dude in the land. His name was Saul. They pick Saul, yeah, Saul's our king. He's our warrior. Until Saul is a coward and falls into his own sin. So Saul couldn't meet the standard of the king of Israel, so they say, we want a new king. Give us a new king. Who do they choose? The shepherd boy, David, who slayed the Goliath because he had faith. But this King David, who started really well, one day got caught slipping, fell into sexual sin with a lady named Bathsheba, then had Bathsheba's husband killed because he didn't want to own his sin and then tried to act like he didn't do anything, and then he went on the run for several years, and he was cowardly in many ways, and I love King David, but it was an epic fail. So then they say, okay, well, it wasn't Saul, it wasn't David, how about David's son? By the way, which one, <laughs> right? David had multiple sons with multiple wives, and they all thought they were next king. But God spoke a promise that Solomon would be the next king. And so Solomon says, I can do it, I'll be the one. Solomon says, I need all the wisdom to do it. God gives him all the wisdom, all the knowledge. He writes the book of Proverbs. He writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and yet he can't follow his own wisdom. Solomon got swayed away by the temptations of his heart. The Bible tells us he had a thousand wives. Let me submit to you, I have one wife. She's enough. There's no more extra energy, right? Like, that, like that's okay. There's, the Bible says, be a husband of one wife, be a, a wife of one husband. Praise God for that. Solomon had a thousand. And it says Solomon had a bunch of side pieces too. Those are called concubines. It was all bad. This was an epic fail. Can somebody say amen? amen? So here's what happens. Saul couldn't be the king. Get him out of here. David, as great as he is, he couldn't be the king. Get him out of here. Solomon was really jacked up. The people of Israel say, we're done with the kings. Let's start our own kingdom. And so the northern Israelites say, we'll go up north, we'll have our own northern kingdom. We'll be Israel. The, the southern Israelites say, we'll go down south, we'll have an even better kingdom, we'll be Judah. And so you have the, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they think that they can do things all by themselves. Meanwhile, if they would have just looked up and said, God, you be king. That message is true for you. If you just if you just surrender today and say, Jesus, I can't be the king of my life. Sports can't be the king of my life. My spouse can't be the king of my life. My kids can't be the king of my life. Only you, money can't be the king. Jesus, be the king of my life. If they would have done that, things would have changed. They don't do that. They go in their own directions. Two different visions. You know what that's called? Division. Double vision is division. This is not how God set it up. This is an epic fail. So here we are at 930 B.C., the kingdom of Israel splits in two, the northern and southern kingdoms. Now, the northern kingdom, Israel, goes way off track. They start entertaining false gods. They start worshiping this false lowercase g called Baal, B-A-A-L, right? The, the god of the desert. He's a false god. He's nobody. Asherah poles and all types of wicked idolatry. They went really far off track from worshiping the god they came from. The southern kingdom holds true for a while. They say, keep the Bible open. 
let's keep worshiping God. Let's try to get back to where God takes, let's get, let's get back to his statutes, but unfortunately, they fall into idolatry too, and they turn to man. What happens in this, they open themselves up to attack. So here we are, the Assyrians, this superpower paganistic army shows up and says, we'll just take over these Israelites. So the Assyrians go up north, they dominate the people of Israel, take over the whole land, and then make the Israelites slaves to the people of Assyria. And God's saying, this is not how I set it up. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom is trying to figure out what they're doing, and then we find the Babylonians, another paganistic, idolatrous group, says, we'll go take over that group too. So the Babylonians then go invade the southern kingdoms, and they destroy these tribes of Judah in 586 BC. So now, here's where we're left. The nation of Israel is divided. The people of God have been conquered. The Assyrians are leading up top. The Babylonians are leading up on the bottom, and they all hate each other. Where is God in all this? He's in it. Check this out. A third superpower group arises called the Persians. The Persians, led by King Cyrus, say, look, I don't like Assyrians or Babylonians, and I don't even have any respect for the Israelites. I'm taking over all of this. The Persian Empire comes and invades the whole thing, takes over the Babylonians, takes over the land, and now the Persian Empire is ruling things. But in God's sovereignty, watch this, in God's providential wisdom, he plants an idea in King Cyrus's heart where King Cyrus says, you know what? Let's just let the people who got stolen away go back home. King Cyrus says, you know, the Israelites and the Jewish people are so non-influential, let's just let them go back home. They always talk about their God and they used to have a temple and how he did all this, just whatever, y'all ain't gonna do nothing. So King Cyrus, almost in his pity, lets the exile Israelites go return back to Jerusalem and go back home to their land. And this is where the story gets really interesting. God is doing something here. Cyrus is letting them go back. It's 538 BC. He issues a decree that the Jewish exiles were to be free to return to their ancestral home. And this is where we find the left side of Nehemiah. It's called the book of Ezra. Ezra is written by him, the, the priest, Ezra, who led one of the mission trips back home. So Ezra was outcasted. Ezra was, he was trying to stand for the things of God. And he says, okay, let's get all, let's all go get together. Let's go back home. Let's start over. Hit the reset button. Ezra talks about how he reformed the people back to God. He grabbed a, land, a people and he led them that way. Then he was like, okay, we need another group to come. Let's get this thing back on track. And then I love this guy right here. His name's Zerubbabel. Come on, say it with me. Say Zerubbabel. Come on, say it with some sass. Zerubbabel. What y'all know about Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel raises up. He's a little bit stronger than the priest. He's, a little bit, he's got a little bit more grit than Ezra. And Zerubbabel, he takes the next wave of people back to Israel. And so now you got Zerubbabel, this man of God. You got Ezra, this man of God, leading the people of God back to their original inheritance and heritage, the promised land that God had led the people 
of Israel too in the first place, God's leading them back to for a moment. If you got all that, say, I got it. All right, so now meanwhile, while all that's happening with Ezra and Zerubbabel, there's a cat that's hanging out over here in the Persian empire who was exiled into the empire named Nehemiah. This man of God worked his way up to the point where he was the right-hand man of the Persian king Artaxerxes. So Nehemiah is over here, he's got a secular job, serving a secular vision, and he's the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. Basically, he's tasting the wine. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A little sip? That's not bad, you got it, king. He's a facilitator, he's an administrator, he's an honoring leader, he's a man of God, and he knows his lane. He's been promoted because he's such a trustworthy individual. Because of his integrity, because of his walk with the Lord, Artaxerxes, even though he doesn't believe in the God of Nehemiah, says, I want you near me. And this is where we pick it up in the story today. So if you're ready, say ready. So here we are. We're in Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. That was a cool documentary, wasn't it? Everybody, you you feel caught up? I feel like, whoa, what just happened? We just covered a thousand years. A lot of war, a lot of blood. A lot of kings and non-kings and priests and power. So now Nehemiah gives us his story, his side of what's going on. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, Now, it happened in the month of Chislev. Chislev for us would be around November, December, toward the end of the year. It was a month that was celebrated in their culture for reasons regarding military and things like that. And so it's it's a helpful time to understand the date. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, as I was in Susa the Citadel, a pagan, Persian-led state, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, pulled up on me. Nehemiah says, I'm just doing my job, I'm serving, and then I see my bro. Comes out of the nowhere, Hannah and I. Dude, what's going on, what's, going, what's happening? One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. Hannah and I made this trip to find Nehemiah, to see what's going on, to give him an update. The thing before I move on that I want you to see is a helpful highlight in this text as we move into the application. About to wrap. It says, as I was in Susa, the citadel. I just want to highlight that. Can I give you the first point of this sermon? We're going to move quick here. The first point is this. There's power in your placement. Anthony was going to clap. I'm going to clap with you, bro. There's power in your placement. The thing that Nehemiah says, he goes, here's where I was at. Look at me, brothers and sisters. I need you to catch this. I need you to see this. There's power in your placement. The place that God has you is powerful. You might think, man, I'm working a secular job. It's not really that powerful. It was for Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, no, no, where God has placed me, is where I need to be faithful. Where God has placed me until he moves me is where I'm at. One of my favorite missionaries of all time, a global missionary named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott has such a powerful testimony. He 
took the gospel to an unreached, unengaged people group. People who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Jim Elliott said, I'll take the gospel there. He shows up on the land. He begins to try to spark relationship with this indigenous people group and this people group throw a spear right through his chest. Jim Elliott's story is so powerful because his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, would one day later come back to that same place, get off the boat, share the gospel, say, you're the people that killed my husband, but he loves you and wants you to know his God, and those people would come to know Jesus. And the person who killed Jim Elliott would come back to the States one day and go on a tour of sharing the gospel with Elizabeth Elliott all around the world. It's a powerful story. But Jim Elliott was once quoted with this quote, I love this quote. Wherever you are, be all there. Come on, put that in your notepad right there. It's good. Wherever you are, be there. I know it's not that profound. It's kind of elementary. But friends, if we catch this, I think we're gonna be better missionaries, better disciples, better friends, better children, better husbands, fathers, Daughters, wives, sisters, friends. Wherever God has placed you, be all there. Now, don't leave me hanging dry here. Does anybody ever have trouble being present even when they're present? I mean, you can be somewhere without being there. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, this is a convicting message for me because I, I, I need to grow in this area. Like, I've, I've found my moments of doing this. My mom's called me out. She's laughing at me right now. Right? Nina's called me out on this. I'm just being, I'm telling on myself right now. Like, I've done this before where I might be like, hey, Arias, how you doing, bro? And before he can get his answer out, I'm like, I'm not present. Right? Or some of you right now are here at church but you're not here. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about football. You're thinking about something different. Can I just say, wherever you're at, be all there. Wherever God has placed you, that's where you're at. If God wanted you somewhere else, you would be there. And you might say today, it doesn't make sense though. And I would say, you're right. There's a scripture, Proverbs chapter 16. If you're really spiritual, you'll read it tomorrow. Read Proverbs 16 tomorrow, it's the 16th. Here's what it says. It says, a man or a woman plans their course in their heart. In their heart, they start dreaming. Okay, I'ma I'm go here, I'ma graduate, I'ma work here, I'ma go left, I'ma go right, then I'ma get a fancy car, then I'ma get a, a house, then I'ma have kids and you know, I'm, this is the course I'm gonna take, yeah. And then the comma says, but the Lord determines what actually will happen. The Lord determines your steps. Where you're at is where he wants you. There's a reason why Nehemiah is still here. Can't explain it all, but it's true. Let me give you another proverb, Proverbs 20, verse 24. Hey, read this with me, ready? Go. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? Even Solomon goes, I don't even understand what I'm doing. But I trust that God has me where he has me. To him, it makes sense. To him, it's a position that I need to be in in order to see him clearer. 
Maybe he wants me to say something, do something. Wherever you're at, be all there. I'm realizing that the neighborhood that God's placed us in is not by accident. As I'm starting to meet more of my neighbors in my little cul-de-sac, I'm realizing, hold up, this was a divine intersection by God. He knew what he was doing placing me here. He knew what he was doing placing y'all there. That God's placed you where you're at for a reason. He's placed you at the school you're at for a reason. He's placed you in the break rooms that you're in. He's, he's, he's done that. Do you see it? Do you receive it? I, I want you to go into the workplace tomorrow with new eyes. I want you to go into the gym, into the, the locker room, into the, the coffee shop, into the house you're showing. Wherever it is that God's placed you, be there. The next time you have a meeting with somebody, come on, be there, amen? When you're talking to somebody here after church and you can sense somebody's to the side of you, just don't turn. Just be there, all right? If you do that with me, it's not because I'm being rude. I'm just trying to practice being there, okay? And when I talk to you, I wanna be there. Somebody say lock in. in. Let me give you the second point. The second point of this sermon that I, I noticed is that Nehemiah checks in on the people he loves. Right, there's power in your placement. Check in on the people you love. Let's look at verse one through three again. It says, it happened in Chislev, and Nehemiah was there, and it says, the people showed up, his brother and his friends. It says, and then Nehemiah said, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah says this, he goes, you know what? I'm not just gonna give them a dap, a handshake, hey man, so glad you guys made it down. Hey, I gotta get back to work. No, 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 he genuinely cares. I love how Nehemiah says, so guys, I heard about King Cyrus, he let our people go back. How's it going? He's on the edge of his seat. Give me an update. What happened when we went home? I've been here. I'm the cupbearer. I can't lose this job. God has me here. What's going on back home? He checks in. Can I just ask you this? Let's start asking better questions. Church family, look at me. We're living in a day that's very challenging. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, 2020 was the perfect storm, wasn't it? COVID, struggle politically, uh, election time, racial stuff, people losing their jobs, people don't know what to do, social media is a grenade launching platform. <laughs> and what I realize is, and we're, we're still recovering, aren't we? Right? There's trauma all over the place. There's struggle all over the place. There's, there's depression and pain and heartache. Everywhere in this room, if we're honest, can I just get like a, like a low key, like, yeah, little, little something, you know, yeah. I love how Nehemiah doesn't walk past it, he asks about it. He asks concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. If you love somebody, check on somebody, amen? Ask how they're doing. Ask how people are feeling. Create space. All right, I'm about to give you something profound. I love that he does this. He, he, he asks the question, he, he leans in. 
And then he does something that I think is so profound. If you're ready, say ready. I'm almost done. I just want to give you this profound statement. This is going, this is going to change the game for you. It's going to be a level up moment. When you ask the question, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, brother, sister. I'm asking how you're doing. How's your marriage? How's your kids? How are you feeling? Did you come out of it? Are you okay? I haven't seen you at church in a while. I'm not calling to condemn you. I'm, I'm calling to check on you. Why? Because I love you. I'm not calling to ask about anything from you. I'm asking how are you? Here's what happens. This is the profound statement. Don't miss it. Lean in, lean in, lean in. Here we go. When you ask the question, listen. That was it. That was it, Jaffer. It wasn't that profound. Oh, but it's such a game changer. Can I just submit to you something, Walk Church? Primarily all the sermons I preach were preached to me first. When I'm writing a message and I'm praying through a message, it's, it's a message that God is delivering to me. He's saying, hi, you gotta work on this. Don't ask the question and then tap out. Don't ask the question and already be ready to respond before a person can even answer. Ask and listen. I love that idea about listening. There's so much power in creating space to just listen. I did that with my wife Nina last night. We went out on a date night, Saturday night is our night, and we took time to ask meaningful questions. For example, are you feeling valued? What can I do better? Let's exchange that question. What are areas that we can grow in? How are you feeling? And creating space to then say, let me lean in and be present. I wanna be presently present, amen? This is a leadership tip from Nehemiah, that he does this well. The, the third point is this, process what you're hearing. If we're really gonna be effective in this season of struggle, in this season of challenge, one of my brothers here at church, he texted me yesterday, he said, hey, can we address some of the hard stuff that's going on in my mind? Like we're living in a tough time, amen? Here's, a, here's one thing I think we should do. Ask more questions and listen, listen better. Process better. I caught this from Nehemiah. I was so quick to rush to the other stuff that this was something that changed my life. Process what you're hearing. Nehemiah asked the question, concerning the brothers and the sisters who were exiled who got set free, how's it going now back home? Verse three, here's the answer. It says, they said to me, the remnant that are in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble. Somebody say great trouble. I feel like you're describing the day we're in. You turn on the news, it's great trouble. You turn off the news, great trouble. You turn on social media, great trouble, right? They're in great trouble and shame. Some would say, man, the day we're living in is a shameful day. There's a lot of things to be ashamed of. The gospel's not one of them. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Anybody feel broken down? 
Its gates are destroyed by fire. I wonder if Nehemiah was like, yo, yo, so what happened? Great trouble and shame. What do you mean? What about the wall? The wall that we built, the wall, the beautiful wall of Jerusalem, the wall that represented Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the wall that our brothers and sisters and ancestors labored over. How's the wall? It's broken. Well, what about the gates? Burned down with fire. I love how Nehemiah takes time to listen, to process what you're hearing. Let me show you how Nehemiah processes. Are you ready? It's going to hurt. Can I just give you that, that disclaimer? Everybody brace yourself. Put your seatbelt on. Here's how Nehemiah processes, verse 4. Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down. I almost, I almost preached the whole message on the power of sitting down. Nehemiah says, when this message hit me, I just had to sit down. Come on, don't rush to the next thing. Y'all feel me? I'm just trying to be real with you. If you create space to ask a real question and somebody gives you a real answer, don't just be like, all right, man, I hope that goes better. Let me get back to my, let me get back to my, sit down. Like, let me just sit down and process what I just heard. Sitting for Nehemiah led to weeping. Weeping lasted for days. I found that when I read Nehemiah, he, he tapped into a level of compassion that I don't have. That I'm learning about, friends. I realized that un unless we create space to ask real questions and then have real listening, we'll never have real compassion. A definition for compassion that I heard from a guy named Ken Witten is this. Compassion is when one person's pain enters your heart. When this person's pain jumps out of their heart into your heart and now you feel it too, that's biblical compassion. Oftentimes we don't allow their pain to get in. We block it, we're like, yo, I got enough pain. And so we move quick. But Nehemiah says, I'm not going anywhere. Let's sit down. Let's add another hour. Talk to me about that. And then it says, he began to weep. I was reading in Proverbs 15 today. Proverbs 15 says, the person who has wisdom is a person of understanding. Hear this. You can have understanding without agreeing with a person. Here's how you do it. You say to somebody, hey George, we might disagree on stuff, but help me understand what you believe. Do you see that bridge being built? Hey, we might vote different, but let me understand why we vote different. Hey, we might see things different in this area, but let me not assume I know what you believe. Let me ask you to try to understand. Not so I can be right and you can be wrong, but so that I can love you better. There's a verse in the Proverbs that says, the wise person will draw out of a person's heart with understanding. If you approach a conversation less by having the answer and more just by trying to understand, I think you'll look more like Jesus. You'll love more like Jesus. 
Nehemiah here sits down. He starts weeping and mourning for days. And then, oh my goodness. Somebody just say, turn the sermon off. Don't, don't go there. No, we gotta go there. Can we go there? And then he says, I continued fasting. My fasting led to praying before the God of heaven. Verse five, and I said, and that's the to be continued marker right there. We're gonna pick it up. I'm gonna preach the next five weekends here at Walk Church on Nehemiah. I wanna challenge you to be there. Don't skip church, don't schedule around, don't say, ah, I guess I can miss this week. No, no, be there, bring somebody. If you gotta go out of town, lean in online. I'm excited for the, I'm excited to lean in. The content of Nehemiah's prayer will change your life. It's gonna, it's gonna help you pray differently. It says, Nehemiah sat down, he started weeping, it lasted for days, even the king was like, what's wrong with this dude? He started fasting, he started praying before the God of heaven, and then Nehemiah records his prayer for us. You can go ahead and jump ahead and read if you want. But I want you to, I want you to come ready to learn, ready to get better. I love what Nehemiah did. He didn't try to fix it right away. Y'all with me? We're almost done. You can come up, Vashon, we, we close, we're getting ready to close. Nehemiah didn't try to fix it. Here's what I believe he did. He brought it to Jesus. The, the fourth and final point is this. It's power in your placement. I recognize that God has me where he has me. I'm checking in on the people that I love. How's my people doing back home? I'm now processing what I'm hearing. It's not a good report. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take all of this and I'm gonna launch it to Jesus. There's so much power in that, amen? Here's a verse that I always tend to go back to. It's in Matthew chapter 11 for my note takers. Jesus says, come to me. The same God of Genesis the same king in the beginning has always been a come to me God. Come to me. All who are laboring, all who are heavy laden, you feel like you're carrying a heaviness, you better come to Jesus. Have a come to Jesus moment. Bring your heaviness, bring your labor, and he says, I will give you a, say it with me, this is the best, rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus isn't gonna put something on you that's gonna bog you down. He's gonna heal you. He's gonna be the one that you've been always in search for. Right, God put skin on. Jesus is, right, he's the embodiment, Colossians 1 says. He's the image of the invisible God. And His Spirit is at work today all around us and the Father, Son, and the Spirit wanna help you. Nehemiah says, I can't handle this on my own, but if I bring it to the one who can, things will change. Friend, bring it to Jesus. If you need to bring something to Him today, you wanna come up to the altar and pray, come up to the altar and pray. I'll be down here in the front Pastor Mike will be down here in the front. If you need to grab one of us as pastors and just say, pray for me, we'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you need to just 
worship, if you need to weep, if you need to cry, this is a space to do that. If you need to pull somebody aside, I just want you to have freedom here to live out these four points, to know that there's power in your placement, to check in on the people you love. Make it your, make it your choice this week. Check on somebody. Process what you're hearing. Sit down and listen. And then take all that to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. I felt like God was saying to me in this sermon to move our church into an action step soon. And I want to give you that action step. On August 29th, I'm giving us some time to prepare, okay? I don't want to move too fast. I'm giving us some sit-down time. But on August 29th, that's two Sundays from now, we're going to start a 21-day prayer, fasting, and fitness season. I want to invite you to do it. Friend, don't make an excuse. Don't worry about the person next to you. I want to challenge you to do it. In two weeks, we're going to go on a 21-day prayer, fast, and fitness season. And I'm excited because I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with my brothers and sisters. We're going to do 21 days of intentional praying. We're going to be sending out prayer points that our team is developing for each day of those 21 days. There'll be a prayer point. There'll be a devotional. We'll all pray for it together. Amen. We'll flood God's inbox for 21 days with the same prayer heart. Second, we're going to fast. Fasting is saying yes. no to something temporary to saying yes to something eternal. Fasting is putting something temporary aside to saying yes to something that God wants to do spiritually. We're going to give you four different types of fasts. It could be a food fast. It could be a drink fast. It could be a soul fast. You might say, I need to cleanse my soul during 21 days and fast from these specific things. Or maybe you need to fast from caffeine. Or maybe you need to fast from soda or candies. Or maybe you want to do an all-food fast or Daniel fast. We're going to give you that material. you got two weeks to decide, all right? pray about it and then we're adding a 21 day fitness component I've decided I'm going to run 21 miles in 21 days we're going to track them too on an app I don't know what your fitness goal is but 21 days of fitness maybe for you it's push ups or sit ups maybe you want to walk a mile for 21 days but I feel like God was really pushing to put it on my we need to get out we don't just need to pray and fast we need to get out and do something amen we need to comb our hair. We need to go and do something. We need to walk a mile. Amen? Jog a mile. After those 21 days, you might, you know, you might be like Japper. You might just be sprinting a mile. Right? It, here's my challenge. Will you join me with it? Will you engage in it? We're going to give you the tools you need. I just want to ask you to commit. Get out of the mushy middle. Ah, guys, I kind of do the church thing. I'm not, I'm not really religious. Get out of that. Step out of the boat. By faith, walk on water. Let's do this together, amen? Let's do this. Father, I just want to pray in Jesus' name. I'm excited for what's to come. And I just believe you're doing something in this house. You're mobilizing us to pray. You're mobilizing us to fast. You're mobilizing us to, to worship. We're returning back to the king of the kingdom. We're no longer going to have earthly kings. Jesus, we love you. 
If there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray today would be the day of salvation. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the grave and he died for your sins, if you confess that, you will be saved. So right now, I wanna give you a chance to do that. Just confess, just say, Father, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe you sent your one and only son to live the life I couldn't live, to die the death I deserved to die, but he rose from the grave in my place. And he's coming again. I turn away from my sins. I turn away from my idolatry, my lust, my pride, my rebellion. And now I, by faith, turn to Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse my soul with your blood. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.